to episode 161 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. How are you doing this week? Well. Wow, the way your voice just quivered at the end boy. of that. That's how I say, well. <laughs> that was... Sound My of fro- a froggy vibrato. Oh no! <laughs> Sound of a broken man. We'll move on from that, though. We don't need to dwell too much. We always just want to give the listeners just a glimpse into the enigma that is Jordan Tresky, but never more than that. Mm-hmm. You can visit Jordan Tresky, but you never want to stay there. Oh, yes. My name is Edward Nigma. Batman Forever. Hashtag. Well, we're back to talk about Wisconsin herd basketball. We'll get on to some book stuff briefly um, later on before we get to your questions in the mailbag. But as we do every Friday now, we talk Wisconsin Herd basketball. It's kind of a little bit strange this week as the last time we were with you, the Herd were about to play the Santa Cruz Warriors and the following night they played the Reno Bighorns and they have not done anything since then. So even a lot of what we would have to talk about in terms of games is going back a little bit now. I'm sure you're more than caught up. Still, there is lots of herd news to talk about. What we'll do is we'll briefly round up those two games. We'll give you a picture of where the herd are at within the larger G League picture at the moment. A picture of the picture there, Jordan. And then we'll get on some of the other news from the team from the past seven days. Starting out with that game that came out the day last week's Herd episode was released. We'll move on pretty quickly from this one, but the Herd visited the Santa Cruz Warriors for the first time on Friday night at the Kaiser Permanente Arena, which, I mean, as G League Arena names go, it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Trying to think if I've come across any so far that can match up to just the sound of Kaiser Permanente, but... I don't think so. I think it's a clear front runner at the moment. As nice as the name is, the Santa Cruz Warriors were not so nice to the books. Mm-hmm. Heard. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that <laughs> over and over. All year. I've been doing it already for weeks. I feel like I, it's less and less every week, but I'm going to keep doing it. On Friday, the Santa Cruz Warriors beat the Wisconsin Herd by 111 points to 82. The Warriors were basically just almost playing a different sport, if that sounds familiar. It was very much like watching 
a G League equivalent of the Golden State Warriors. Quinn Cook had 24 points, uh, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, and just really controlled the game in every department. Michael Binaget had 21 points. Also got good contributions from the likes of Damian Jones, Anthony Early. It's really just a star-packed team who clearly know what they're doing. They're all on the same page. And as I wrote about in writing about that game on Behind the Book Pass the following morning, that was basically the template for as good as everything has started for the herd. It's like, okay, if you want to maximize what you can get out of this whole G League thing, from a books perspective, books being the correct term for me to use in this case, this is the template to follow because Kaiser Permanente Arena was packed to the rafters. Steph Curry and Kevin Durant were both sitting courtside watching their G League team broadcast. We talked about broadcasts before, and we'll probably talk about broadcasts again very shortly. But by far the most professional we've seen so far and will see all season in all likelihood was the production package that the Santa Cruz Warriors put together. So the books were thoroughly beaten on the court and everything else, all of the the trappings around the game were unlike anything they'd seen up until that point in the G League. And in that way, I guess it's fitting that it was coming from the Warriors affiliate, who, again, are clearly hashtag light years ahead. On that occasion, for the Herd, Gary Payton 2, that was his season debut with the Herd, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He had 29 points on 11 of 26 from the field, 4 of 12 from 3. He also had 8 rebounds, only 1 assist, and of course he had 3 steals. Uh, Xavier Mumford had 18 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists on 7 of 15 from the field. And other than that, the herd didn't really get a whole lot of help. James Young was still injured from the previous game. Joe Ballenboy was up with the Bucks, as he has been ever since. And Cliff Alexander still suspended. He will serve the final game of his suspension on Friday night. As you listen to this, tonight, against the Windy City Bulls in the Bradley Center. That will be the final game of Cliff Alexander's suspension for violating the league's anti-drug policy. I mean, it's tough to really take too much from this game. It was it was pretty ugly. I think, obviously, Gary Payton, too, drew a lot of the attention from a herd perspective, being his first game for that team. I think you noted on Twitter while watching that game that he was pressing, and that shows in his stat line. Clearly, he wanted to go out and play. That probably has as much to do with the fact that he'd been up with the books for a decent chunk of the season so far without really getting any minutes, I think two minutes in total. So there was probably just some frustration and some just, you know, just a desire to go out there and just play. And at times maybe not involving teammates as his one assist and 26 field goal attempts illustrates quite <laughs> like you would like him to do. Anything else jump out from that game in any sort of positive sense? We'll try to keep it plenty of negatives, but in a positive sense for the herd. Um, I mean, not much. I mean, Muffer was pretty solid. I, I don't think he scored late. I think that was kind of what <laughs> what uh, drew to the uh, them to being down by 45 at one point. But there, it was close at one point. It was like 33 to 31 during the middle of the second quarter. Um, so it did start off well, but playing at Kaiser Permanente Arena, they got Kaiser rolled. 
The following night, second night of a back-to-back, as the schedule really hadn't been easy for her to begin with with their four-game road trip, they moved on to Reno, Nevada to play Sacramento Kings affiliate, the Reno Bighorns. Bighorns do have their own mix of familiar names. Georges Papianis was there, Jakar Sampson, uh, David Stockton. I was, Jack I Cooley. I know he said former son of John Stockton, but I believe he's still the son of John Stockton. Jack Cooley, as you mentioned. Uh, Aaron Harrison, I think, was there too. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they have plenty of recognizable names. They're a relatively successful, proven team. I guess they're maybe most famous at this level for being the place where the Kings have implemented some of their more interesting experiments, such as the, the whole four-on-five idea. So the Kings are definitely a, a franchise that are proactive in how they use their affiliate. This game, I'd love to tell you all about the first half. I can't. The reason for this is, you know, to get back to broadcasts, there was some sort of issues with the Facebook Live broadcast from Reno. The result was, I mean, most of the second half got there, but not exactly how we would have Lighted to get there. I think that's fair to say, Jordan. Yes, it looked like it was directed by David Lynch straight out of Twin Peaks. <laughs> if you, for anybody that has watched it, it was very uh, hard to watch. Hard to watch indeed. The audio was all, I mean, delayed would be understating it. Those of you who watch Twin Peaks will instantly get what that was, <laughs> but that genuinely was what the experience of watching Big Horns Hurt was like. So anyone who was left in any way dissatisfied by the Twin Peaks finale, well, there was an extra dose for you last <laughs> Saturday. In that, the finale finale of the Delicious Twin Peaks, Xavier Munford, 31 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 4-5 from deep, second straight game. We'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about him very shortly, the big week overall, and his three-point shooting has been just flat-out insane. He also had six rebounds, six assists in that game, three steals too. He just dominated all across the floor. I think most interestingly, even with him shooting the three-point shot so well, he was able to just get to the rim so easy. I think he attacked a little bit more. He's very good from mid-range, so he is a guy who can take a lot of kind of mid-range to long two-point jumpers. On that occasion, he was getting whatever he wanted at the rim, so he kept going back there. 31 points was Certainly impressive. Um, that game also marked a pretty significant lineup change. Again, it's tough to get a read on all of this before Cliff Alexander comes back, and obviously with Joel, Joel Ballenboy up in the up in the NBA with the books. Gary Payton too has been away, but on, on that occasion, Jordan Brady ran with a starting five of GP two, Xavier Mumford in the backcourt. Jarvis Summers came into the starting lineup, and he played alongside Kyle Casey as forwards. And Grasson Bakamania came in for Michael Dunnigan and got the start at center. Bakamania is someone we've talked about quite a bit in terms of his team as someone who is really interesting, hasn't necessarily got any sort of resume or anything tangible to go, well, that's the reason to be excited about him. But his physical tools are incredibly interesting. As a starter, 23 minutes, 10 points, 7 rebounds, plus 12 on the night. Very, very positive for Crescent Bacamania. Easily his best game so far. What was your impression of what we did see from Reno? I, I think for me, it was just they were very 
confident and comfortable again. The recurring theme of the early games was if this team gets in a position to win, they seem to have a coach and personnel who won't lose the game. You know, that well, they'll lose some. It was a bad way of putting it. But they're not <laughs> going to go out of their own way and do something dumb that's going to lose themselves the game. They're going to make the other team beat them. Yeah, basically. And after a game like they had on Friday night, it was good to see them kind of, you know, turn the page. Any cliche that you want to insert here, I mean, they bounced back and uh, finished their road trip with a successful victory. Uh, and not a successful note overall, obviously. Also of note, Vito Brown brought back to the team and played his first game, put up nine and five and was a, a team high plus 24. Mm-hmm. It is 19 minutes. Not bad. So, um, yeah. That's Velvet Vito Brown, everyone. Velve- Don't forget it. Or Velvito. Let's just go with Velvet Vito Brown. In one shining moment, you're frozen in time. <laughs> so, after that back to back, one pretty disastrous game, and then surprisingly on the second game of the back to back, coming through with yet another win, the herd finished their first ever road trip, the first ever spell of games, 3-1, and one, which is incredibly impressive. As things have kind of shook out a little bit more over the, what, five days, six days since they've since they played now, as we record this, the Herd are only behind the Lakeland Magic in the G League Eastern Conference. The Lakeland Magic have a record of 4-1. and one. The Herd are tied with the likes of Main Red Claws, team that will be playing in the coming week, and the Fort Wayne Mad Ants at 3-1 in the standings. To go into some of their more advanced numbers, currently, the Herd are second last. This where it gets interesting, people. In the G League, in terms of offensive rating, 95.9. Their defensive rating, currently at 103.1. That has them just outside the top 10. I think they're 11th in defensive rating. And their net rating, which is currently the fifth worst in the NBA, for the, or in the G League, I should say, for the team that has started 3-1, is minus 7.2. 7.2 points worse off per 100 possessions. That may lead you to say, hmm, okay, this team isn't very good. They've just got all the lucky breaks starting off. Maybe that's the case, and we'll find out over time. More likely is the absolute demolition job the Santa Cruz Warriors did on them has dramatically skewed their numbers, particularly seen as all of the Herds wins have come in pretty close games. So the negative impact of that in such a small sample size is really hurting their numbers. I'd expect it to kind of stabilize all around. Probably particularly interesting in the defensive context because you know they might be a top five-ish defensive team if that had been anywhere close to a normal game if they hadn't had some of the lapses that they did have so it's definitely something that's going to be interesting and worthwhile tracking over the next few weeks and months to look to the week ahead the hurdle play three times before you hear from us next again they have a friday saturday back to back this time though their first ever home games albeit not in what will be their permanent home in oshkosh the Herd will be at the BMO Harris Bradley Center in Milwaukee on Friday and Saturday. For those of you listening to this early on Friday, maybe you've got nothing to do tonight. Free tickets. Go visit, Free. The, Herd's. Go visit the Herd's website and you could get yourself down to the Bradley Center, see them in action. 
tickets are free. I would free. Highly, highly recommend doing that. I, I don't work for the herd, but you know, you might as well at this early point in their existence and just with them playing up in the Bradley Center, go and see them and kind of go and support them. It should be a cool thing. In that game on Friday, they're playing the Windy City Bulls. So, I mean, local rivalry. You basically, you need to go there. You better so, not see red. And <laughs> you need to go there. You're beating me to my joke so that the BMO Harris Bradley Center isn't just overflowing with Bulls jerseys. That's the reason all of you people need to go there. Windy City Bulls are kind of an okay team. Uh, Antonio Blakeney, who is their clear star and really maybe the leading star of the G League at this early stage of the season, an incredibly dynamic scorer who's doing a little bit of everything for the Windy City Bulls, he will be there and should be pretty entertaining. Hopefully, the herd will be moved to Form 1. If you can't make it on Friday, I'd love to be able to tell you you can go back on Saturday, but you can't because the next two herd games at the Bradley Center will reportedly be behind closed doors. That's as some sort of, you know, costing. Jordan's laughing. At least this time we get a Windy City Bulls game that isn't behind closed doors. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if the attendance of 11 people can be topped for those upcoming behind closed doors games as heard behind closed doors continues. That Saturday game. Main Red Claws are the visitors. As I mentioned, they are one of the teams who are currently tied with the Herd in the Eastern Conference, 3-1. and one. They are, of course, the affiliate of the Boston Celtics. Lastly, before we're back to talk more Herd, Tuesday, the Herd will be back on the road. They go to Newark, Delaware to play Philadelphia 76ers affiliate. The Delaware 87ers at, wait for it, the Bob Carpenter Sports Convocation Center. Convocation. I don't have more to add to that one, really. I mean, you're just all gonna, all gonna be expected to tune in to see what goes down at the Bob Carpenter Sports Convocation Center. Convocation. To talk about some of the interesting news to come out around the herd, specific players throughout the course of the week, we've got to start off with Xavier Mumford. X Man. <laughs> The clear star of the herd so far this season. Um, true his own play and also true the fact that the other most talented players on the roster have not played in most of the games, either through injury, <laughs> uh, call up with the books, or suspension. I mean, he's definitely had an advantage in that capacity. But he has proven that he's exactly what the herd, that was nearly books, what the herd thought they were getting when they made the trade to acquire his rights. Xavier Mumford was named G League Performer of the Week for Week 1. That is the performer of the entire week for the entire G League, everyone. So, very impressive stuff. And later that same day, news emerged that Jeff Van Gundy had selected Xavier Mumford to be a part of his FIBA AmeriCup qualifying squad. Uh, he's one of, I think it was a 12-man roster. Am I right in saying that? I have nothing open in front of me to back that up. I believe so, yeah. Okay, thank you, Jordan. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> he's one of 12 G League players to make Jeff Van Gundy's roster. Of course... Actually, sorry. One of 11, Samaj Kristen. I mean, say that right. One of 12 G League players. He's not in the G League, he's a free agent. He will be in the G League soon. 
if he's lucky. Uh-huh. He, he might need to play well for Dios. Yeah. Anyway, Xavier Mumford did represent the US during the summer under Jeff Van Gundy's watch. He was someone that, if I recall correctly, it might have been on a low post, or maybe it was on one of the early broadcasts. Might even have been on a Celtics Cavaliers game. I do remember somewhere with a pretty big national media spotlight, Jeff Van Gundy highlighted Xavier Mumford as one of a few players who he felt really stood out to him as someone who should be playing at an NBA level and certainly has the right attitude and talent level to fit in in that company. So no surprise to see him back there. As for the performer of the week, I'm going to run through the stats that Xavier Mumford has in the G League so far. All you have to do is listen and just hold your job so it doesn't hit the floor, right? 25 points per game. 5.3 assists, 5 rebounds, 1.5 steals, on 50.8% from the field, 70.8% from three-point range on six three-point attempts per game. I'm going to gloss over free throws because they're not so impressive. He's actually yeah. he's shooting less from the free throw line than he is from three-point <laughs> range. <laughs> and he's attempting nearly the same number of attempts per game there, which is just pretty insane. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say 70.8% from deep is not sustainable. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stick out on that limb. But while he's doing it, I mean, good for him. Um, the herd will certainly take it and look to make the most out of it, which they probably did with that 3-1 record in their opening week. Very wordy honors and recognition all around, I'm sure you'd agree. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh, it's not a surprise that he was called back up considering, you know, he's already has some familiarity with playing with Van Gundy and Team USA altogether. But just his current form of the season just <laughs> reinforces why he's why he should be with the team. And it's just been great to watch him. Even, like I said, even in that Santa Cruz Warriors game, it, his scoring fell off, but he was still very efficient. Like, it's... It's a very good start. He's currently the leader, the scoring leader in herd history. We got to throw it up for that. But uh, yeah, totally, wholly deserved. Did the books make a mistake by not signing him to a two-way deal? Mm. That's, I mean, where, where I'm getting at with this is I, I don't think there's any chance Xavier Mumford is on the herd for very long because some really bad NBA team or even a okay NBA team with non-guaranteed guys. If he keeps playing at anywhere close to this level, if he plays well for for the US in those FIBA America Cup qualifiers, he's gonna get called up. I mean, he was he was called up to the NBA with the Hornets, wasn't that last year? No, uh, two years ago for the Grizzlies when they were. Basically Sorry, you're right. When during that spell team. where uh, Dave Yeager famously ended up giving that press conference where. He got very emotional. I could, I still can't watch that now, or I'll get equally emotional. Dave Yeager just hits me deep inside, Jordan. But he's the kind of guy that I just don't see how he's gonna, how he's gonna last down at that level for all too long. And you certainly playing at the, the level he's playing at the moment and performing up to such a high standard. It's hard to look at him and say like. Oh, you know, the Bucs couldn't do with him in any way. If if there was a player who wasn't DeAndre Liggins, currently on a non-guaranteed contract, you'd probably be saying, oh, well, you know, if this level of play from him in the G League continues for another 
five to ten games, you'd expect to start hearing about it. I think that's probably still going to happen for some other team, just it's going to be out of the books' hands because, I mean, the way things are going for Liggins right now, I think his spot is pretty secure, which is which is great, but it's also unfortunate because what you'd like is to have Liggins on a guaranteed contract and someone else on a non-guaranteed contract. But could the books have circumvented all this and maybe had a player who, even if it wasn't all this year, you know, longer term, could be someone who's useful at the back end of their bench if they had gained some of the security that a a two-way contract would have given them. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, I don't know if it's going to be soon, honestly, just because we're still, every, it's still early. People are, even teams that are bad, like that, it's still, they're not, I guess, they are they are going to be out of it, but it's there still. There'll be bad, smart teams, though, who do the thing that, I mean, Sam, I think he it's going to be 10 days. I, I think it's going to be 10 days first. No, I, I, think, I think he'll be gone. I think he'll get a contract that guarantees him to the end of the season. If he keeps playing anywhere close to he's playing right now, and if he's got the right people saying positive things about him, which, I mean, Jeff Van Gundy would certainly stand in yeah. in that camp. I, I just don't see how he wouldn't get picked up. Most, if you're a bad team, you've nothing to lose by giving him, say, a partially guaranteed two-year contract. You know, basically what yeah. the books gave GP2, which was later in the season last year, but equivalent to that, where you're giving someone a guarantee at the end of the season and then he's non-guaranteed for the second year. I don't know. There's, yeah. a way, there's a way to go. I just feel he's, like, I've just probably done him a disservice by calling out all of his offensive stats because he's a really good defender as well, which is an area where he can kind of hang his hat on at times. So he's just a very well-rounded guard who also, we mentioned last week, he's kind of long and smooth. He has enough size that you could run versatile lineups in the NBA that involve them. I just, I think he's an incredibly interesting player. And the whole Joe Ballenboy thing has worked out very well for the books. He hasn't played a second yet, but in having a two-way player who was who can play at the center, that has pr- become something that's pretty important for them. But if you would say to me longer term, if they were to pick the two players with the herd who may have the best chance of doing something, are earning a spot, contributing to the books longer term. I think Munford would have been in that mix. If you look at Vaughn's going to be gone next year, very good chance Jet wouldn't be back for another year. Like, you're going to have openings for guys in that kind of position. You're also going to need players who are cheap. Yeah. And who knows how long the 2A contracts are going for? Dude, that was a different... I don't think that's ever been released. I don't think it gets specified in any case, really, but they could be two-year two-ways, or they could be one-year. Yeah. Then, I mean, as we've learned, the the flip side to that is they're... uh, They could be moved pretty quickly, and teams can just decide, yeah, we're waiving waiving this guy in a two-way contract. Here's a new two-way contract for you. So, we'll see how that one plays out. But great week for Xavier Munford testament to that is probably the fact that we even have need to have any sort of conversation like that of whether the books could ultimately regret not giving him a two-way after just four games with the herd but that is how well he has played so far in other herd news herd housekeeping i guess we could call this mm. he enjoyed that i think i don't, I don't know maybe too much jordan 
No, the alliteration. Your fan of alliteration? Yes. Remember, don't... <laughs> I was going to say kids don't alliteration. Litter. Oh, God. <laughs> well, the herd have reportedly added guard Tyler Halls and another guard, guard who's a little bit more familiar, you may have heard of him, Shannon Brown this week. Jordan and I are still trying to wrap our heads around how all of this adding just players happens. One was definitely for Xavier Mumford will be away from the team for the best part of 10 days to two weeks as he goes off to play with the US team. So the teams who lost players to the national team were granted an extra spot by the G League. Uh, officially, from what seems to have come out from the herd, it would seem likely that Shannon Brown got that spot. Tyler Halls was also reported by Chris Riker to have been picked up by the herd. Whether they picked him up, then found out that Shannon Brown was an option, waved him and picked Shannon Brown up, or whether he's still around, that remains to be seen. Both players were picked up. Jordan is incredibly excited about this, though. Brothers Brown. Because he thinks for the first time in books organization history. There may, I, I cannot may think of another sibling a uh, set of siblings suiting up for the Bucks, possibly at the same time. Well, can you remember at separate times, siblings? Well, that's what I'm saying. This is a watershed moment for the history of the of the Bucks organization. Jordan generally, generally, genuinely reached out and to generally. me. <laughs> reached out to me excited when this news came out of using those exact words this is a watershed moment for the organization <laughs> and i had to ask how and it was, he just as you know brothers as if i was the idiot you know <laughs> that's, not that's what it was people you you just imagine it shannon brown is an interesting case we all know who he is had a pretty, nba champion by the way too right pretty lengthy career in the nba and i think she alluded to there he was he was kind of a factor on some of those Lakers teams. I mean, yeah. played real minutes. Played real minutes even later in his career. But he hasn't played in the NBA or really anywhere else for that matter. Hasn't gone overseas. Uh, briefly dipped his toe in the G League water, but that didn't stick at all. Since the 2014-15 season with the Miami Heat. I believe he was waived even in the 2014 part of that year. I could be wrong on that. But we're, we're looking at close to four years since Shannon Brown played basketball. So although he is a proven NBA talent, definitely an interesting guard option to bring in a, at a G League level, a lot of the intrigue around him is going to be kind of, what has he got left? What's a Shannon Brown play like now he is only 31 years old so he isn't like the oldest guy there but it's definitely interesting and all the more interesting because of the sterling brown connection and it may shows jordan the influence sterling brown has got already i mean yeah. he's able he's able to put his franchise player chips out on the the table and say you know my brother needs a team has needed a team for three years now that i'm here let's get this sorted but what I really want to see is I want to see the Brown brothers playing together. Yes. Yes. When the herd 
were able to select them, they were saying the brown is mine. That's funny because Shannon Brown is married to R&B singer Monica. It was, was. I don't believe. Was? That. Yeah, I believe that ended oh. pretty badly. Not to, we're we're not that podcast, so maybe we should we should sidestep it. But I may be misspeaking, but I came across something in Shannon Brown research that you know led me to believe was. So sorry about your joke there, Jordan. But more than just getting the Brown brothers together for Jordan's amusement and joy at not just having two brothers in the organization at the same time, but having them share the court. Sterling Brown's up with the books, racking racking up the MPs, racking up these inactives. Go give him some minutes. I, I personally think he's pretty pretty NBA ready and could contribute something. I understand a lot of the reasons why he's not getting minutes, but you've got a G League team now. That's the idea of it. If he's not going to even be active, send them down there. Let them play and see what comes of that. You're, you could be one injury in two weeks away from having to give him minutes, and it would be better if he was kind of fully sharp and feeling confident coming in in that sort of scenario rather than coming in cold having had tons of inactives. We'll see how that one plays out. Fun week of stories ahead for the herd. We'll also see if James Young comes back from his unspecified injury. We will, I would assume on Saturday, get to see Cliff Alexander for the first time. Maybe I'm wrong on that. We'll see how his own fitness and everything is after his extended layoff. And Gary Payton, too, is probably a safe bet to go back down to the G League at some point. As probably is Joel Bahumboy, because the books just can't afford to use up all of their days on him so soon if they don't have an obvious route to add another center later in the season. So they need to take a little bit of care on that as much as they want to have that cover. uh, Having him up with the team on occasions where you haven't been using him is something they're going to have to be a little bit wary of because you don't want to have one of Tonner John Henson just have like a two-week injury later in the season and not even have enough days to use the cover that you should have at that point. So we shall see how all of that plays out. Will we move it on to the books for a few minutes, Jordan? Let's. Okay, so your Milwaukee books are 4-0 and since the Eric Bledsoe trade. Now up to 8-6 and on the season overall. I believe that's just one game back of third in the East. And the Washington Wizards are ahead of them. There's an, I think the Wizards and the Raptors are the two teams that they could, they're one game behind. Obviously, Pistons are a little bit further ahead, and then you have the Celtics who are defying all conventional wisdom when how they're just rolling off wins at the moment. But the books aren't, you know, the books. We could be saying that with the books in two weeks. Look at how the books are rolling off wins. Things are looking pretty good right now. And I think, interestingly enough, and we kind of alluded to this on one of our recent podcasts, after a tough start, I believe it was the third toughest in the NBA, according to ESPN's strength schedule, the books are coming into a much more favorable stretch. And it's a pretty extended stretch where even though there will be good teams, coming up from time to time, you're not necessarily going through the kind of stacked run you were. Real chance to build on things. So with a four-game win streak at the moment, the books are looking at a schedule of Mavs away, Wizards at home. Then they go out west, something which would normally be a pretty daunting prospect, but 
Suns away, the Eric Bledsoe, and possibly Greg Monroe revenge game. Greg Monroe is healthy, and as we record this, scheduled to make his Phoenix Suns debut in the next few hours. That game's on a Wednesday, then on Saturday, the Utah Jazz, the Rudy Gobert-less Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City. Then the Kings, who lost by 45 points to the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday night. Then on to Portland to play the Trailblazers on Thursday. Back home to play the Kings on the Saturday. And you're going on, I mean, okay. Then you've got Celtics and Pistons in twice in three days. But then you're back to Mavs at home, Jazz at home, Pelicans away, Bulls at home. Before you go on the road to the Rockets, host the Cavaliers, and then two games against the Hornets. Like those last four games that I just mentioned, they're bringing us right up to Christmas. So between now and the 15th of December, teams that are good, you're really talking about the Wizards, who you play at home, a road game against the Trailblazers, Celtics on the road, and Pistons at home, which I haven't played the Wizards yet, but the Bucks have beaten all three of those other good teams already this season. And although mm-hmm. they could easily lose those games, you wouldn't say they're not in any way manageable. So do you feel there's a real chance for the Bucks to kick on with this momentum? I know the question is ultimately going to be, you know, do they shoot themselves in the foot or do they lose a game they shouldn't lose? But regardless, even if you make make an exception for a couple of losses just kind of sliding in there. Is there a real chance that the books could go on and kick on with a pretty meaningful run over the next month? It's obviously certainly, certainly possible. I mean, as you said, the opponent, the, the level of uh, opposition, it's going down considering just the slate of teams that they're playing right away. And obviously Detroit outperforming initial expectations to the season. Um, and obviously just having Bledsoe. Bledsoe has provided a jolt for the whole team. Even though you wouldn't say their performances have been any crisp in any way, at least offensively, they're still trying to find that out. And obviously, I believe Bledsoe still has not practiced, according to what we heard on the most recent broadcast. He's still having, uh, you know, there's that the knee contusion, so he's only practicing doing shoot-around, so they're still taking it easy with him. So they're still, you know, trying to develop that chemistry between teammates and all that. So at least offensively, and as we saw last night, it's still kind of coming together very slowly. But on the other on the other end, I mean, their, their defense is, like, pretty solid. I mean, it's <laughs> it was very stifling for much of the game last night, even with the Pistons hitting, like, what, 18 threes? on close to 40 attempts if they didn't eclipse that 40. That's worth Mark. noting that some of those trees were like super ultra contested tough trees. Yeah, yeah. And definitely. some guys like Langston Galloway made one of the most contested trees I've ever seen and he's not someone <laughs> you necessarily expect to make an open tree. So even that there may be, you can probably excuse them a little bit on it. It wasn't necessarily the variety of trees that we've gotten used to the books giving up over the last couple of years. So, I mean, all around the defense looked pretty good and has looked pretty good since the Bledsoe trade. They're, they're still top five in the NBA in defensive rating since the trade. I believe they are exactly 96.7. Right 
Right. Google, point, to be, yeah. I mean, being below 100 in defensive rating, which a few years ago was kind of pretty normal, is now a pretty select few teams in the NBA who manage that. So, of course, the books aren't at that mark for the season overall. But, you know, they keep playing like they are. They'll work their way back and could end up a pretty good defensive team if they keep this up, which considering so many of the things we know is kind of bizarre. But I just think even with keeping a lot of the elements of what they have and have done for quite a while, there is new wrinkles that are coming from Bledsoe. The way he the way he gets out and attacks the pick and roll, it's, it's harder to kind of get into things. If you beat him, easy scoring opportunities are there. But... He's going out and he's making things really difficult for opposing teams. As we mentioned on, I believe it was on Monday's episode, wasn't it, that we talked about the the defense and the rotation. I do think that is still a real factor, and that even played out on Wednesday night in the win. I mean, DJ Wilson saw minutes, but he saw two minutes. And other two than minutes. that, you had an eight-man rotation. So... Yeah. You were removing Del Vadova, who we noted in that episode, maybe one of the more questionable defenders still in the kind of solid to good defensive group. Removing him, you're probably getting even stronger in terms of defenders that are out there, even if you may be stacking up more and more minutes. That's more likely to be a concern than anything else as things go on at the moment, but definitely with just better defensive players on the floor. Bucks are getting some results right now. It's going to be... I mean, it's kind of make or break for just what their season becomes as to whether that can hold up in any real way. We know a lot of what they'll be able to give us on offense. If they can keep playing like they have the last four games defensively, the ceiling for this team just grows pretty significantly this year. Yeah, totally agree. And we talked about when they're kind of in that post-start malaise and post-Giannis kind of <laughs> getting off to as big of a start as he did to the season, we we're talking about what can they be a lead in? And obviously they strive to be a great defensive team. We all, we all know the schematic problems at this point by heart, and those aren't going to go ever. Those aren't going to go away when they have a loss. Those issues will rear its ugly head every once in a while when that happens. But when they're locked in as they have been for much of this stretch during this winning streak, they're just very stifling and just they can't they force turnovers. Bledsoe's been really great at just blocking things. Obviously, we not even just Bledsoe, we've seen John Henson really step up as a rim protector and just it's 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 more than just Bledsoe, the arrival of Bledsoe. It has given this team new life to begin with that could easily wane as you know they kind of figure themselves out and obviously maybe if their effort on that end diminishes a little bit. But still, this is a this is the shot in the arm that they needed. And it was pretty clear as day that they needed something to kind of, I guess, you know, reinvigorate things and that's being shown on the defensive end of the floor. Right. And I, I think kind of even worth building on further in that something we've noticed in the last few games in particular. Taking him some time, he's had his ups and downs to start the year, but Chris Middleton is starting to look pretty good. Uh, the last two games against Memphis and Detroit combined, he shot seven from 12 from behind the arc. He's made some pretty big three-pointers in both of those games too. I mean, Monday against the Grizzlies was maybe, you know, maybe the perfect example of what you hope and want him to be in terms of he 
wasn't your leading guy, but he had 17 points very efficiently. Uh, was doing everything you'd want of him to do. Defensively, he was just locked in. While on Wednesday then against the Pistons, probably, you know, a little bit more than you can expect because he was making so many of those really tough shots that we'd get on his case for missing so many other times. It's trending up, though. If you look at his play, he's definitely trending up. And we talk about maybe there's an adjustment for him with the arrival of Bledsoe, too. But once he manages to make that adjustment, he's moving back into the kind of role that he has thrived in throughout his time with the books, where he's a third option. You know, and there's times later in the season where you hope Jabari comes back. He may even be less, you know, he may get less attention. And he is really good. So the more and more you can kind of create opportunities and openings where the game goes in that direction, that's going to be a good thing. And then if he's a guy who is going to lead a second unit, that's good. It's fine. We've seen it work recently, even, even though there's been some rough patches. But it gets all the more easy when you also have, say, Malcolm Brogdon out there helping him. Because, again, Chris can lead your second unit, but you don't want him to be the only guy. He just works better when there are other options who can kind of just force things back even a little bit. Are you expecting him to continue this good play? Maybe not at the highest kind of, of levels like we saw on Wednesday, but are you confident that a lot of the worst of early season struggles may now be behind Chris Middleton. Um, I mean, his answers after the the game Wednesday, and I, I I feel a little more confident. It was pretty uh, insightful. Just how what was it? Kevin Garnett's visit to the team's practice uh, Tuesday and Wednesday kind of reinforced that he thought his effort wasn't there and kind of had to, <laughs> I guess, just play harder. I don't know. I mean, where again, this is we're not quantifying anything like that, but you could just tell that he looked a little bit out of sorts and just trying where it was more pressing than ever than we've really ever seen him. I mean, there's a difference between him missing shots and him kind of stuck between gears. Like we saw in the, at the beginning of the season, which was, you know, totally uncharacteristic from what we have seen from him since coming to Milwaukee, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, he's Chris Middleton. Slow starts are basically baked into his DNA of every uh, season at this point. And, you know, I, again, I think the Bledsoe, as you said about just kind of the gravity of having Bledsoe on the team, that's going to open up more uh, opportunities for him, even more cleaner looks, great quality shots and all that stuff. And obviously having Giannis too. And even Brogdon to an extent, obviously he's more of kind of a – you know, all-purpose type guy, but still, that's that's still going to help Milton no matter what. It's just a matter of, you know, those shots going down. Okay, so we'll have more Bookstock on Monday in our regular book slot of the podcast. Before we move on to the mailbag, quick note, I have already got one of my wishes for this podcast. Some breaking news as we record. Brothers Matt, Brown. Matt Velasquez of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel tweets, the Wisconsin Herd has signed Shannon Brown, and the books have assigned Sterling Brown to the Herd. Both brothers will play in Friday's game at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Again, everyone, get yourselves down to the Bradley Center. Jordan, I was asked before the game, would he go? He's going, mm-hmm. you know, brothers Brown might just might sway him on that. He might have to rethink that. History is going to go down <laughs> in multiple ways. Yeah, on Friday. We haven't even talked about the the, the mascot Bradley. reveal yet. 
I was just about to get there. Jordan and I have endeavoured to delay this podcast as much as we possibly could in terms of recording, as we wanted to really just talk for, I don't know, an hour, two, three hours about the Wisconsin Herd's new mascot that was promised to us on Thursday. When this news was announced earlier in the week that the mascot would be unveiled on Thursday, we had, you know, okay, that's it. That's going to be our primary focus. Because these things, they always get announced early in the day, right? Right? Wrong. As I speak, which this is pre-recorded, sorry to jolt if any of you thought that you know, Jordan and I were there, that you pressed the button on your device and we performed live. <laughs> this is pre-recorded. It's 4.52 p.m. Central on Thursday evening. There is still no announcement. Fear not, Jordan and I have been digging deep. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is we zoomed in very closely on the picture the herd put out earlier on Thursday before we started recording. And we feel very confident, which probably means we're wrong, that the mascot's name is going to be Hunter. I don't know. This this all kind of sounds familiar. I mean, you know, they signed Shannon Brown. Oh, news tr- trickles out that they're going to have a new mascot? Hmm. Hmm? Shannon Brown is the mascot. And that's why he hasn't played for... Multiple years, he's been like in mascot training camp. Possibly, oh. it's very rigorous. DJ Wilson should really be assigned to the herds to be the mascot too, because I feel from what he's showing on the on the bench at Bucks games, he's got what it takes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Anyway, when Hunter, or if his name isn't Hunter, just pretend that we didn't say we thought it was Hunter. When the big reveal does happen. Jordan and I will be digesting it. We will then give careful consideration. And on next week's Herd podcast, we promise we will give a very detailed breakdown of what we think of. I'm going to call him Hunter. He's Hunter. We're speaking it into existence. If that's not what it says, I mean, they haven't unveiled him yet. They've still got time to fix it. So Hunter, we move on to the mailbag. Yes. The first one from a pencil two two nine two. Liggins is our best free agent signing since question mark. Mm. The answer's Jet. To the same kind of thing. The answer's Jet, Jordan. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> It's easy. Who was he the best free agent signing since? Um, it's Jet. I, I guess. I don't know. Well, okay. Jordan had to give a definitive answer, so unfortunately, Ben, you can't get one out of him. I, I think it's Jet because you're talking that very, very inexpensive bringing something that is more than just, you know, what are your skills as a basketball player? In different ways, Liggins energizes the Bradley Center crowd equally as much as Jason Terry does. Jason Terry will often do it with his mouth and his arms. Liggins will do it with just insane defensive plays. Also, with a little bit of uh, stare downs. Stare downs, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I'm going Jet. Jordan won't answer because he'd have to be definitive on something and it's never before happened. 
Years ago, I asked Jordan, Jordan, well, I didn't even ask him. Jordan applied to write for Behind the Book Pass. And it was, I can't remember, I'm making this up, but it was probably along the lines of, I think I might like to write for this site. <laughs> that might actually might have been the case. Uh, yeah. The next one from DB Sweeney underscore 2016. What are the chances anyone besides Giannis makes it to All-Star Weekend? Doesn't have to necessarily be in the actual All-Star Game. Snell for three-point contest, question mark. Anyone in the skills challenge, question mark. John Henson in the skills challenge. Let's go. <laughs> Tom, Tom should percentage. be in that. Tom the skills challenge. Oh, yeah. That fits their bill of, you know, weird big men. Freaky big man. Tom fits that. Depending how quick Eric Bledsoe gets held together and clicks in, I, I think, like, considering his competition, if he really clicked into gear, he'd have a really good chance in the East. Middleton's numbers are not bad as they are. If he can then continue what he's been doing recently and his shooting picks up, I mean, for the season, he's averaging 18.6 points, 5.9 rebounds, 5 assists. In the Eastern that's, Conference, that's got to be pretty damn close to being an All-Star. Yeah. Totally so, I, I think there is a chance of multiple All-Stars. Uh, I, I, I think Snell should be in three-point contest, but I made this point last year. I think Brogdon would have a better chance of getting there just because he's the Rookie of the Year, you know, status. And there is a, increasingly more high-profile players are being selected for the three-point contest rather than just the best shooters. So Brogdon may fit that bill more than, I mean, bringing Tony Snell out to All-Star and I'm having to do huddles and stuff and saying literally nothing. Just throngs of media pushing microphones in his face. Tony, 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 what do you think about it? And him just sitting there in silence. I don't know. I think he'd win it. I mean, give me Tony Snell in the three-point contest, but I'm not sure. Multiple All-Stars in play, though. Everybody's forgetting... You're forgetting the greatest three-point shooter on the Bucks of all. Mirza. Mirza. I have. His, his injury has briefly made me forget. I, I think he's not getting there, even... If he shoots 47% right through to mm -hmm. All-Star break, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe. You know what might also be worth a mention here? Giannis might want to go back and revisit that whole dunk contest nightmare. No, no, no. That, I don't know what you're talking about. I have <laughs> blacked that out for my mind. I mean, Yanis might want to go back and try his look in the dunk contest for the very he first time. He did the skills challenge the year before. I have no memory of that. I know. And I, don't, I have no memory. I don't have any memory of a dunk contest <laughs> either. I take <laughs> yeah. it back. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if Yanis ended up at the dunk contest. Depends how busy he wants to make himself. Which, being Giannis, could be very busy. He likes he likes to do as much stuff as possible. So, who knows? Um, from at MT Junior underscore fifteen, will we ever lose again? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. We're four and zero under the Bled Zeppelin era. We're riding a stairway to heaven after hitting rock bottom. <laughs> God, turning a new page. Oh my God! Planted. Uh, this is back rehearsed. At the top this of is the very East. clearly rehearsed. 
Jordan's been rehearsing that since the trade, I can only guess. <laughs> and I don't like it as much as anything because he's mixing up his Bledsoe-related music references because Jordan got it right when he when he made the Easy E reference, you know. From at Cody Bosa. Tony Snell is shooting 49% from three, but only averaging 3.8 attempts per game. Should the books be looking at get him more three point attempts? I mean, yeah, he's a good three point shooter, but it's you're gonna get a lot of diminishing returns on that at some point. Yeah, and he's not he's a very he's not a pull of three point shooter. He's strictly a catch and shoot three point shooter. So without the ball in your hands, I mean look at his usage, it's gotta be like 11 percent or something like that too so there's only you can't really go higher with that without increasing your 9.9 percent it's below 10 which is even like that's yeah anyway um <laughs> that's, that just i don't know if that really tickled me for some reason so perfectly tony snell yeah unassuming but still very satisfactory result results Nonetheless, but yeah, his workload would have to change radically for him to increase that. Really, it shouldn't. It shouldn't go up. I mean, it could go up slightly. Like last season, he did attempt four point four three point attempts per game. Maybe you want to get him closer to that. I would have been all for this idea ten days ago, and then the books went out and got Eric Bledsoe. And the reality of it is, I mean, if Tony Snell started shooting seven three pointers a game, his number, his percentages would go down a little bit. And everyone would start to be saying, like, what's going on? Why why is Tony Snell taking touches and shots away from Giannis and Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton? Like, they really don't need to do that. I mean, he's perfect being the guy who will happily have a less than 10% usage rate. And then when you give him the ball, will make his shots. So I think you've just got to use him in that way. And the more central you make him to your offense, the more teams game plan for him as well. Which... Yeah. It's probably the opposite of what you want to do. So I think before Bledsoe, you'd say, yeah, because in terms of weapons the books had at their disposal, it was a pretty good one. But now you've got another really talented player there. There's only so much to go around. If Tony Snell is happy and he's still capable of doing what he's doing on less touches, less attempts... You know, I, I don't have a major problem with that. Once it doesn't drop to, like, he's playing 30 minutes a game and only having two attempts from three-point range, that would be pretty bad. But once it stays around where it is and it's close to the four attempts per game mark, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I mean, you do have to give shots to other players considering just how good some of those players are. From at Joe Ostendorf, how soon will we see the real Bledsoe? He doesn't even look great so far, but shows flashes and has worked well with the team. Now that we've seen him a little bit, what do you imagine Bledsoe will average once he hits his stride? I don't know, I'll be honest. I was a little bit unnerved by Marcus Johnson's uh, detail on the broadcast during the Grizzlies game. Not the Grizzlies game, the Pistons game, when he revealed that Bledsoe still hasn't had a full practice with the team because his knee is bothering him still to that kind of extent. Maybe don't play him if that's the case and just let him get healthy and particularly the guy you just traded for who has a really serious history of knee injuries. 
don't even let the minor knee injury linger. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know, because the question does hinge on how soon will he have the time to rest up and be fully recovered so he can be the real Bledsoe. Uh, it might even be less about how he meshes with his teammates as to when is he healthy. It mightn't happen this season. I don't know. It might be all-star break. Like In terms of he's going to have a meaningful break if if there is some sort of niggling knee injury players always have injuries so you know there, there is a real chance for a variety of reasons including just figuring out his fit and systems and things like that that the best version of our blood so the books will have is going to be next season but i mean he's pretty good as is i think that's that's really the most important detail and what i imagine he'll average Maybe something like 16, 6, and 6. Maybe 18, 6, and 6. Something in that kind of range, which isn't necessarily kind of blow you away kind of numbers, but it's really, really good. And when they're coming alongside, say, Yanis doing what he's doing, that's all you need. Again, much like Tony Snell shooting more three-pointers, I mean, Bledsoe could possibly do more if you wanted him to, but that's how you'd end up looking like the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I, I mean, we haven't really we he had the Grizzlies game where he hit a couple threes. I think he actually hit one late against the Pistons, but for yeah. the most part, his legs have not been there for his three point shot. Um, once that kind of you know that mean regresses, <laughs> basically, uh, you'd think that his scoring total would go up. But even then, like we haven't really there's been glimpses of him you know breaking out and transi- transition and you know putting up dazzling finishes and stuff like that. But that still is kind of being worked out there. But it's also how they use him. Is he going to be kind of that second unit guy where they they feel comfortable of having him on the floor by himself? I mean, they they have Milton and Brogdon and all that stuff, but are they going to still have him kind of command a unit of like, you know, Thon, uh, Mirza when he gets back, and, you know, maybe uh, Brogdon and fill in whoever I at, at the three or something like that who knows um but still I mean it's it's not the impact that everybody wants you don't want to you wanted to see him hit the ground running but still with what, how few uh kind of reps he has with the team just outside of games uh it's still encouraging to see that there is this kind of baseline and it's being productive they're still winning despite all the things that are you know that are ahead of them there's also the fact that he's with a new team and is probably quite naturally deferring a little bit at least. You know, I mean, you're not going to come into a new team, particularly when you know they've got a star who is better than you and that's without kind of having any significant ego and then go, okay, this is my team now. We're going to do everything as I want. And I think a big thing for Bledsoe is, you know, the winning matters, matters a lot. What happens when they're not winning? So... When they're going for and oh, he's going to be happy to pass the ball up to Middleton, pass the ball up to Giannis every time. Maybe later in the year, though, we see spells where he's like, okay, well, if no one else is going to fix this, I'm going to fix it myself. There's just dynamics within the team that we won't have a chance to see yet and will take longer to play out. So it is, it's kind of hard to know exactly what way his role will go, what exactly he'll look to do. But I, I do think it's... It's tough to say when we'll see kind of the best of him because if health is a factor and then you've got all those other things and just kind of pecking order still sort itself out. There is there's reason why it will take some time. 
The next question from an Anthony Zeno. Which team of the East do you think is the scariest matchup for the Bucks? My thoughts would lead me towards a healthy Sixer squad, maybe even before the Cavs. Uh, I'd say no on that if it came down to you're playing the Eastern Conference Finals tomorrow and you've got a choice, you can play the Sixers or the Cavs. I would be very quickly asking for the Sixers. Even with the Cavs' obvious weaknesses, I think. Come on, Sixers. I mean, obviously they've got really good players and they've got good things going for them, but at their current point of their development, I think you're going to... You're gonna edge that way. Scariest matchup. I don't. No matchup scares me. No matchup in the Eastern Conference scares me. The books can be any one of those teams in one game over seven games. Whether they actually go and do it, different question, and the answer is much more questionable. But can they beat any team in the East? Definitely, particularly if the Cavs are going to continue to look like they currently do. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Boston's been good, but you know what? What do they look like when they're not on this incredible tear? Kind of uh, not salvaging their season, but just salvaging the feeling around their season when after you know Hayward goes down. Even um, with and, that, though, Jordan, we've seen the Bucks beat that team once, and even when they lost them, they could have won that it was game. Still close, yeah. Right. So there's nothing to fear with the Celtics. They're a good team. The books can be a good team. And, you know, we're talking about those two games. They were pre-Bledsoe as well. So uh, the, the team that I, I think, I don't know, it just feels like we've seen less of, or maybe we think less of than anyone else is the Wizards. And I think the Wizards is still an interesting one in a lot of ways. Otto Porter does have some of the physical tools that you'd say, okay, maybe he could be interesting in what he could do with Giannis. I think one big thing the books have done to help themselves in that matchup is Bledsoe. Because in the past, you would have said John Wall is just, he's liable to really pick the books apart with ease. Bledsoe helps in that department quite a lot, in that you have a faster guard who should be able to come closer to staying in front of him. I think maybe even that matchup's gotten closer. They have plenty of defenders to throw up, like Bradley Beal, take your pick. You can have Middleton, you can have Snell, whatever. And then the Wizards are still, you know, lacking in the front court. Which, yeah. in that, that sense, I mean, the books are lacking at center, so it's not even the worst matchup for the books in that regard. But they're a team that I just think have something that maybe we haven't seen play out. I'm not sure. That might just be in my head more than anything else. Yeah. Do you have a team, so that you'd say would present themselves as the toughest matchup for the books? This season? Yeah. In the I'm interested. I, I know this is probably... Uh, I'm interested in what Toronto looks like against them. I know I, I'm going to keep banging this drum, but they are... they Their second unit looks way more, I guess, you know, worrisome with their do, young do guys. Maybe that's... Again? Do I need to list them again? I'm not buying it. They've started... I'm just saying, maybe that's they're okay. more. They're not even. They're not even. I haven't even started that well. I know what you're saying, and you've got this respect, thing. OG man. Respect, OG. I I do like him. I think he's good. Uh, the things the one that are and the Anobi. The things that are red flags for me. One of the biggest red flags is they are doing nothing with Norm Powell. 
they go from giving him a bigger featured role in the playoffs and you go, oh, maybe they figured it out now. He's kind of good. They should do things with him. That would help them. No, no, they've just decided no matter, even if we change our style of play, regular season, we're not going to let Norm Pell shoot really all that much. You know, we're not going to run. Pick at him, 46 pick. Yeah, I'm not looking to dive into that element of Norman Powell, but he's a good player. We saw that in the playoffs. He was pretty decisive in that matchup, ultimately. Like he was he was a big player as the thing turned because, you know, without him playing and playing well, you couldn't move away from Valentunas at center, which was one of the big shifts that helped them get that series back under control. Even more so now with Bledsoe. I would have zero fear of the Raptors. They're not. Good. I'm not saying. They're I'm not, not saying good. fear. I'm not saying fear. I'm just saying I'd be interested in what that looks like. Okay, so you're you're dodging another question though, because you're not saying they're the toughest matchup. Yeah, I, I never said that they were. Uh, I, I I'm gonna guess that if you were to answer this, you would still go Cavaliers purely because of LeBron. Yeah, and they've. <laughs> the Bucks have not been able to stop them in both of the games, even without Bloodstone, obviously, with the defensive issues that are sure to pop up uh, once again at some point in time. But so, yeah, yeah, Cavaliers. Respect the pedigree. Okay. Not the Sixers, though. To, to and that. let's be honest, too. I mean, it's the reason it, that could all fall apart very easily if MB goes down, knock out wood. That's. That's his durability is such a big issue. If still. the Sixers get to the playoffs, are they going to be able to play him like every? Are you going to be able to play two games in three nights? I don't know. The next one from Anthony Zeno, which book is most likely to be moved by trade deadline at this point? I mean, <laughs> I got Delhi. Delhi. Yeah, but I don't. Th- most likely, it doesn't mean he's going to get moved, it means he's yeah. the one they're going to try to move. Which, in part, I mean, if they're not trying to move you, you're not likely to get moved. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't know if it's Delhi, I think it might be Mirza just because of that one year less on his contract. If he does continue shooting this well, they won't be able to trade him, like, they he will have real worth to them. Now, okay, maybe I'm wrong because maybe just the like the defensive improvement we've seen in his time out of the team just proves to be something that they go, well, actually, that's more valuable to us. And maybe when he comes back, we see lapses in that regard when he's back on the floor, back in the rotation. I don't know, but I think there's got to be a way where you can make the most of the guy who's shooting at that sort of clip if he continues to do it. I agree. He has a, a role with the team, but I don't know. It's also feeding into your one year less makes it more appealing for other teams. That makes it more appealing for the books to keep as well because you're off his money one year sooner. Yeah. So if I was trying to move someone, it would still be Delhi. From uh, Anthony 674-23230. If Jabari comes back and doesn't show regression, would that make the books contenders? I I think it's Um... it's pretty tantalizing to imagine just what that as an extra option would do to what they have at the moment like contenders is obviously a big question because then it's something that we don't think about all that often which is what will the books look like against the warriors against the rockets 
against, I will still say, the Thunder, in spite of recent struggles. Like, well, we I maybe shouldn't say that because we got to look at what the books might look like against the Thunder. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't think this team is ready to contend regardless this year. That doesn't mean that everything couldn't break their way and they find their way out of the East some miraculous way, but I think that may prove to be something of an anticlimax, even if that was to be the case. Do you agree with that, or do you think that if somehow, I mean, this is all very very lofty for you, Jordan, but if somehow things broke their way, and it, I mean, it doesn't even have to mean their regular season is just incredible, just that they peak at the right time in the playoffs, if they were to find their way out of the East this year, could you see any chance of them holding their own in the finals? Let's let's worry about winning a playoff series first. <laughs> worry about winning a playoff series first. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. There you go. Jordan being Jordan. Lastly, from at Merco Wave 2324. Do you think the Bucks have a top 10 offense and top 10 defense? If we make a move later down the line, do you think it would be a trade or signing a player on a vet main? Top 10 offense, top 10 defense. I mean, I, I that makes me, maybe it says something about that makes me more uncomfortable right now than the idea of getting out of the East just made Jordan. I, I mean, if, if they can finish the year as a top 10 offense or top 10 defense, then I'd say, well, yeah, they'll have a chance against anyone. But. I don't think so. I mean, the defense would have to... like We're a long way off the defense being consistent enough what we've seen in the last four games to say that they're a top 10 defense. And even at that, I mean, it's hard to even imagine that being the case without them completely ditching some of the principles that have caused them so many issues up until now. Even top 10 offense is going to take a bit of work for them. Yeah. Yeah, last year was like one of the first time or one of the few times this century that they've had an above average offense and getting into the top 10, holding both of those marks. I mean, you're kind of ceiling that you're a 50 win team. Uh, it's yeah. it, the thing with that is it's very difficult to, uh, I, it's kind of good timing, I guess, for this question. And Zach Lowe wrote a piece about the Nuggets today and he kind of highlighted this in a way. If you have one area that's a glaring weakness that you have to focus on, it's hard to put all your focus into that while maintaining your level at another area. And the Nuggets so far this year, they've regressed offensively and improved defensively, which was a nightmare for them last year. Like early in the season, when the Bucks lost some of those games, there's no way that this Bucks team isn't going to be even more focused on defense than ever before. And with that, they will probably lose some of what they had on offense because they're just going to have to put so much more into every possession defensively. And we, we definitely saw that on Wednesday against the Pistons. They were working really hard on defense. And at times, they'd go down the other end and have long stretches without scoring offensively, even though they were getting good looks, which doesn't necessarily spell anything other than you know, maybe a little bit of tiredness. And that's coming from what you're having to do defensively. So to get both of those things is tough. And it's even more difficult when one of those areas is a meaningful weakness for you. And that's what defense still is for the book. So even if they improve it, it's not something they'll be able to just go, oh, we're a good defensive team now. <laughs> they'll have to be equally focused on that every night. Uh, move down the line. 
We'll see. I don't know. I don't know what way the books will choose to do things. This is a new day for the books. John Horst does things a little bit differently. Eric Bledsoe arrived last week. I don't know if any of you noticed. So <laughs> all bets are kind of off with me on what the books might do next. Agreed. Okay. So that is it for us for this edition of the Win Six Podcast. We will be back on Monday, as usual, for our full book show. If you prefer, you can also listen to it on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. That's free online radio on Dash Radio. We air every Monday from 7 p.m. Central. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorites and tune in radio you can read my writing jordan's writing and the rest of the behind the book pass team's writing on that aforementioned website behind the book and we'll be back with you very very soon thank you very much for listening thank you jordan thank you <laughs>